morning, good afternoon, good evening. This is the Material Podcast. We are we are one of your favorite podcasts. You know how we know that we're one of your favorite podcasts? Because we're coming into your ears right now at the very beginning of the new decade, the new year, 2020. I'm Florence Ion, and I'm here joined by my co-host, Andy Anatko. Hello, Andy. I am actually here, which means that whatever streak you are on, dear listener, of wow, I can't believe we're X days into this new decade and it hasn't started to stink yet. I'm sorry. I'm here. So I'm there's a good risk. I'm going to break your streak. I'm sorry. Ouch, Andy. Come on. Don't be so hard <laughs> on yourself. So this is episode number 236. And usually we pick out like an area code or just some sort of like regionally related thing having to do with the number of the episode. We couldn't really find anything this time, but I did through a very very extremely quick Google search, found out that the year 236 was a leap year starting on a Friday. And fun fact, this year, 2020, is also a leap year. So leap year babies, you will have a birthday party this year. Please invite us. You are a little boy of five. A paradox, (laughs) a paradox, a most ingenious paradox. (laughs) Okay, Andy, my, remind yourself that you are a baritone and not a tenor. It doesn't matter if you've heard recordings of tenors singing songs. You need to change it to a baritone register. I think you did fine, Andy. But I do, <laughs> I do feel for – if you're a leap year baby, will you please, like, write us in and just, like, let us know how you deal with having a birthday every four years? Because I, I don't even – like – I, as the person that I am, need to have a birthday. I need to have the spotlight on me at least one day a year. So, like, I wonder how do you how do you do that, you know? And then also the superstitions don't apply to you, right? Because you're not supposed to have a birthday party before your birthday because it's bad luck. This is what I've told myself most of my life. <laughs> and, yeah, and then you don't, I mean, do you get a birthday week? I don't know. Write us in. We want we want to hear from you. Material podcast on Twitter. I think we have a Gmail somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> that that actually might be an interesting deal to offer the kid, where you can say, especially like when they they don't really know what like birthday celebrations are like yet, so they haven't gotten used to a pattern yet, and they can and once once they're cognizant enough to understand your language and also to understand you know the one marshmallow versus two marshmallow personality test, to sit them down and say. Okay, you're now you're now eight calendar years old, <laughs> or twelve, or whatever. I don't know what the when when kids <laughs> know, start passing the one marshmallow, yes. two marshmallow tests. Yeah. So we're gonna make your 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 co-parent and I are going to make you an offer. You can either continue to have birthday parties and birthday presents every twenty eighth, as we've been doing all along, or. We can celebrate your birthday only when it's the 29th on leap, on leap years. And uh, 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 I'm getting to the good part. We will give you your gifts will be four times. We'll have four times the budget for your ah. gifts. So four times the socks, four times the sensible brown corduroy pants. No, 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 kid. We're, we're, we're saying that you know that gaming laptop that none of your friends will get for their birthday because we're – what used to be called middle class uh, back in mm. back in the day, well, you'll be getting that gaming laptop because your budget is. Mm. And also, here are two marshmallows. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Well. Uh, anyway. Well, you got a lovely God bless card anybody with a birthday of, this one year. One of those like uh, bouquets of flowers. It's actually made out of edible fruit. So it's not I so like well, those. Not, I like those too. It's like also you wind up with these really cool like pointy sticks afterwards. Exactly. <laughs> Which are great for shish kebabs. Um, Making s'mores on the stove, like if you just have a hankering and you don't, you know, because your camping gear is probably back there. They're awfully melty. They are. Oh, the plastic. I was just thinking about the wooden ones. Oh. Yeah, what, yeah, yeah. Last time I got a, I got one of those things, it was all on, on plastic. Mm-hmm. And I just remember thinking that, boy, if I had like a, an older sister and I were like eight, nine, like six, seven, eight years old, and someone had given, or this were in the house, and mom and dad had like thrown away these. I would be collecting these pointy things, and I'd be point, I'd be like boinking my, you know, I'd be like jabbing, like. But playfully. don't you have three older sisters? So this is I have something. Four. Okay, wow. <laughs> Bless you. Um... <laughs> which, which is why, again, I, I need to be armed. I would. Yeah, I, 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 I spent it's... until I was 28, 29, 30. I felt as though I am under attack, sometimes actually physically, always emotionally. The phrase, oh, we know you did it. You're the boy mm. was uttered not infrequently during my childhood. Mm, not OK. Not I, OK. I, but I've totally. I've totally. I've learned how to deal with that now. It hasn't Mm -hmm. led to anything permanent Mm -hmm. or – again, I apologize for wrecking uh, your entire decade. Did I say that before? Actually, maybe that did damage me. You're not wrecking anyone's decade. I just have the older child syndrome. So, (laughs) you know, it's – I'm just on the opposite spectrum of like – anyway. Okay. So I – we are in a new year. Thank God. Um, New beginnings, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, We're not here to do resolutions, Okay. That's not happening. I personally am not doing resolutions this year because there is so much that is changing for me that I'm not going to even bot. Like I'm literally just using my name as a pun and I'm going with the flow this year. So that's that's the goal. Um, but I did want to share that I spent New Year's Eve. So I had two friends come over. Uh, I am pregnant. I'm actually today I'm officially nine months pregnant and I have no energy whatsoever to really do much. Um, walking up the stairs is like it's it's like the six miles I did at Crater like a few years ago. Like I'm so tired just walking up the stairs. I can't even breathe normally like sitting on the couch. So it's it's a marathon like being awake these days. So I just had two of my friends over. Um, and we just kind of watched TV and hung out and, and, um, my husband made Korean inspired tacos, uh, which were delicious. Just in case anybody's curious, did you know that you could flash pickle things in 10 minutes? I didn't. (laughs) Uh, that's the thing that you can do. I ended up, I don't know what... Mind you, I was sober. Uh, I don't know what inspired me to do this, but I, you know, my friend asks me, she goes, hey, so, you know, we're entering a new decade. And she's like, what was, what was your life like 10 years ago? And, you know, I started to like tell her a little bit and I was like, you know what? Why don't I show you? (laughs) So Andy and I, before we started recording, we're talking about Andy's working on an on a Plex archival project. I am all, very privy to that because I too have dealt. I mean, I'm 
I'm constantly doing that as well. Just like once a year, I'm like, what should I add to the curated collection? And a part of that maintenance has also been like maintaining my Google photos. I had moved everything just so that it's just like there and searchable and available for when I need it slash want to dive into memory <laughs> lane. And thusly I did because I have Android TV and we were all sitting in the living room. I decided to cast the entire album from the year 2010 I know technically 20, 2009 would have been actually 10 years ago, but I didn't want to go. Like, any, I was, yeah. Any, my, my response to anybody who like raises that point is, aren't, shouldn't you be in the supermarket moving all the tomatoes into the fruit aisle? <laughs> Excuse me. I am not a nitpicker. What I am is a pedant. There's a difference, which I will now explain to you. Well, I decided to do 2010 also because that at the end of that year is when I started dating my husband. And so I and being that our friends, you know, I wanted them to have some context for when, you know, I was entering (laughs) what life was like before I entered in that relationship. So I cast the entire album to Android TV and I was you know what? I leaned into it. I the thing is, I love doing this. I love which maybe this is like the, I don't want to say self-centered, but it's just, I like to reflect back. You on have things. a story I, that you want to tell. I Yeah, no, that's true, Andy. That's very true, right? That's what I do for a living. I'm a storyteller in, in uh, every sense of the word. And so we started from January 2010 all the way to uh, the end of December 2010 and just kind of walked down that journey. And that was the first year that I got a smartphone. So that was the year I got my HTC Incredible. And, and as, as a result, like I really had – the first half of the year is all just like Nikon cool pics photos. <laughs> <laughs> and then it delves into like, here's a bunch of random stuff and like videos that I took because that year I took a lot of solo road trips and I know someone's going to yell and say, but Flo, in 2008, a law was introduced in the state of California that said that you could not have your phone in your hand while you're driving. I know. I know. I'm not suggesting that you do this because it is legal, but I had a bunch of videos where I was just talking to myself because I took all these solo road trips in my car. And so I'm just like, and I showed all these to my friends and my friend, he's just like, Flo, you are like that aunt who just, (laughs) and here's the sand in the north facing uh, part of the beach, and here's the sand in the south facing part of the beach. You'll notice that the sand is a little different here because of the way that the sun only hits part of the land, Um, because I... (laughs) Because, like, that's how I talk to myself in the videos. Like, I did a whole (laughs) video where I cooked chicken soup for the first time, like, from scratch. And I didn't even – this is before I knew that mirepoix was called mirepoix. And I'm just – here's just, like, a mix of onions, celery, and carrots that I bought at Trader Joe's. And it's uh, (laughs) – so I just want to thank my friends for enduring that whole thing. Um and I guess I also want to thank Google Photos because all I had to do was type in 2010 and immediately like every photo with 2010 in the EXIF data came up. So yeah. it was it was just like that easy. That's so. that's such a hoot. Like, there, there are a lot of reasons why I'm looking forward to like my 70s, 80s, 90s, however, I've, however long I can keep body and soul intact. 
And one of them is I really want to see old people, like pe- people who are like in their 50s and 60s, who ha- can do things like that and pull up photos all the way to like age three, four, five, and not just the curated files. You know, when we get when we uh, when we get far enough into the future where uh, uh, we're we're talking to like the kids who are two, three, and four today, the parents whose phones automatically synch- synchronize all of their photos up into the cloud. So not just the we took we took eighty pictures during uh, during the, the the cutting of the, the eating of the of the third birthday cake. We of course only like we only saved three. Only one of them made it into the album, and God knows what happened to the other two. Whereas this will be every frame of it, and who knows? I had to start curating at one point. I had to start <laughs> skipping because I was just like, "All right, the, some of these are garbage photos. Like this is." Not- <laughs> Maybe that's part of the gift that you give future generations mm. to, because I, I, I'm certainly too paranoid about data backup to like prune out all my like Google Photos backups and my Flickr backups. But nonetheless, perhaps I should make sure that I have. Um, there must be a non morbid way of saying, okay, if I've died and you're like my nephew or my great nephew or my great 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 nephew and you don't want to look through 80,000 pictures, here are like I added maybe 18 to 40 a, a year to this. So <laughs> again, you will get the, the one really good selfie of myself uh, in front of. Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. in, in in front of uh, uh, the Kitar Bear of, uh, mm-hmm. of Boston uh, in Boston Common, not the eighteen in which I didn't really line things up correctly, and where he was clearly about to give me the finger, about... so I had to run. Yeah, that's what that's what I'm thinking. It's very different than like going into the attic. I mean, just the the usual scenario that's used in like a storyline where you like go into the attic and you find like a chest full of memories, but they're all when you think about it, it's not everything. Because exactly. back then we didn't have access to, we didn't have the ability to just archive everything. And now with like cloud storage and even in granted, this is 2010. So this is like when smartphones were just materializing when this was like the iPhone had only been out for a couple of years. And just like this idea of taking all your photo, people were still carrying around a smart, you know, a phone and like a, a little camera with them. And just the idea of dumping everything into the cloud and like, hey, so listen, I may be deceased and gone, but here's like the entire archive of everything. I mean, even now, like if you look into the last year, you'll see I have pictures of just like, well, here's my pen collection. I just wanted to take a cool little picture of like my four favorite pen colors. It's just like, here's Flo's four favorite pens. Just a photo. But that's a, but that's a great point that um when it's it's always a terrible thing when you have to close I've I've had to close down parents my parents house I had to close mm-hmm. down uh, my grandparents house I've had as again as one of very few like males <laughs> in the family it's like mm-hmm. hey we need someone to like it's it's uh, it's 98 degrees and 130% humidity and there's we heard something that might be a really angry badger in the crawl space oh, but we no. remember grandma said something about putting some boxes back there so we need someone to crawl back down there and 
Yeah. So and it's 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 not it's obviously a melancholy experience. But yeah. part of what makes it interesting is when like you open that drawer in a desk and the, the relative or the friend, they're they're not they weren't a hoarder. So it's not as though they couldn't mm-hmm. throw out a, a paper bag. They had, to, they had to keep it. It was like here was a ticket stub from a movie. And I don't know why they saved it. And there weren't there aren't like a hundred of them in a jar. It's not like he, he was just in the habit of saving. Right. This, what was it about this ticket stub that was nice enough? Like I I, I might have, did I mention this before that I do one of the one of the most important possessions I have is a simple blue plastic fly swatter that I acquired like in the mid seventies at a uh, it was uh, at the computer the Northeast Computer Fair. Which I attend as a as a kid, like I must have been seven or eight with my dad, and fortunately during like the ten year period or the ten or twelve year period in which, uh, oh no, actually I'm sorry, I'm correcting myself, where I, I held on to it because I was a little kid, like hey look, free flight water, yay, um, and for so and uh, years later I found that um, obviously I left it behind like in my room, like in the stuff when I went off to college and stuff. And at some point, I saw it like hanging on a nail, like above, like my dad's workbench in the basement. And I should, I will, I will note particularly that there were no flies in the basement. There were no flies. He, did, there was no a fly problem. So there was. He thought as much of that thing as I did, even yeah. though we never discussed it. And that was uh, when we closed down that house. Uh, that's uh, that was the only. Uh, <laughs> hopefully you have a good relationship with your siblings and you have an agreement that, okay, look, this is not going to be a free for all. We're not just going to grab what we want and hide it in the car. And then two years later, be surprised like, Oh gee, I wonder where that really valuable and really important memento went. And now mm-hmm. I, the answer is it went on your wall. That wasn't interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. But that was the one thing that out of the whole house that I just went shunk, because to anybody else, it was just a stupid, cheap, free plastic fly swatter. It would be one of the first things you just take up and and, and throw away. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel I, I keep thinking about I really kind of want to either buy or build like a nice little shadow box for it and hang mm. it on the wall. So that even if there isn't like a note attached to it, maybe there should be like on the back. So I think, OK, clearly this is not just a fly swatter. If he decided yeah. to if he decided to spend sixty dollars on this shadow shadow box <laughs> and hanging it carefully on the wall. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, so this curation thing, not just here is a dump of everything that I ever held, touched, thought about, talked to, listened to. Here are the things that I thought were important. Where it's it's I'm I'm sure when people pick up my uh, my uh, my NAS server and see <laughs> like 130 gigabytes of music files alone, that's Okay, that's nice. That's kind of interesting. But what's more interesting is, wow, he only had six playlists on them. Like, I, oh god, I, so so many neat tangents. I remember um, there was a special uh, about ten years ago uh, called John Lennon's Jukebox because there was an, an amazing cultural find uh, where uh, back in the '60s you could actually buy. Like a, a German made, mm. like portable record changer the size of a big suitcase. I just that Googled had, it. Yes. Exactly. That had like something, it, was, it had like 40, like 45s in it. And it passed through many hands. And of course, the records were all gone. But the, the device was still there, it didn't work. But the most important thing was like, of course, 
the user is supposed to like write on these this like little like grid of paper. Yes, I like, see what them. All the songs yeah. are. And so it was someone, uh, so whoever got their hands on it did the coolest thing, which is a we're going to restore this to working order, but also we're going to fill this with all the records that John Lennon liked so much that he wanted to take them on tour with him as one of the Beatles. And it's like it's the most interesting thing, and one of the and one of the actually one of the most fun parts of it are they act, a lot of the creators of these songs uh, that were in the jukebox are still alive, and they and it's like thirty years later, and and they it really did kind of touch their heart that well John Lennon whom I really respect like liked the song that I wrote and I performed enough that he wanted to carry it with him like everywhere that's. Because you know, when you're when you're in your seventies and you had like maybe ten, you had a you had a recording career for about four years, yeah. And then you moved on. You had to move on to like family and uh, like a more conventional job. It's like mm-hmm. it must be nice to take the old Fender bass like <laughs> out of the garage and be interviewed about like what what that what that lick was like. And anyway, that's but that's yeah. that's where we're getting at curation. Curation is as much an act of creativity or it can be as creation. Not on the same mm-hmm. level, but you're creating something that didn't exist before by deciding that all of these put into context, have a new context by put it being placed together. I will, I'll, before I we want to move on to something else, but I, I will. I will. I just recommended the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum to somebody uh, on Twitter today, where I, I got the I got the, uh, the uh, one a frequent question on Twitter, which is, "Hey, I'm going to be in I'm going to be in Boston for like six or seven hours. What should I see?" And one of the jewels of uh, Boston is we have an internationally renowned art museum, the Boston Boston Museum of Fine Arts, and it's great. But the the museum you if you have to choose between art museums you want to go see the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. This is a smallish mansion that was built around the turn of the previous century to house the art collection of Isabella Stewart Gardner, and she was uh, she was wealthy. She married wealthy. She was widowed, and she and her husband and herself just loved. Touring the touring the world and buying art as they go, and they had relationships with artists, and they're kind of plugged in. Artists who are who are going to be holed up in Boston for a couple of months would like stay with the with the gardeners, uh, and so she the the collection got so big that she decided to build like a mansion for herself where the top floor was an apartment where she would live. The other floors would house her art collection and the understanding that when she finally shoves off this mortal coil, uh, this entire building will be turned into the Isabella Stewart Garden Mm -hmm. Museum. And what I'm getting at that makes it so cool is that there was one important proviso in the will that said that you cannot add anything. You cannot uh, get rid of anything. You can't even move anything. So when you enter these rooms, uh, and it is if there's a painting there and a a gorgeous like twelve million dollar Rembrandt, and there's like a tacky like spelter metal casting of a duck next to it, it's because she liked the duck, and that's where she wanted the duck to go. She curate. She personally curated. So you are watching somebody's personal curation versus a bunch of museum administrators. It's so so serious that. Um, it is also, unfortunately, infamous as the the, the site of, prob- I think, still the biggest single art heist in history. 
uh, where and they made off with four paintings, including and I'm not talking about the Spelter Duck. I'm talking about, hey, let's go for the ten million dollar Rembrandt, and hey, let's go for this other mm-hmm. like twelve million dollar thing. Uh, and so as she again, the will <laughs> the, the the rules say you cannot edit anything at all. So right. you will see empty frames. <laughs> The, the frames of the Rembrandt, the frame of the Rembrandt, exactly mm-hmm. where it's supposed to be. The painting is not there, but <laughs> the frame is there. So what, what I'm saying is that it's incredible to see. Like, this, uh. is what the, this is what this one woman, this is what her taste in art was, and this is how she wanted to experience it. And so sometimes I think that in our uh, quest to let's back up everything and let's share everything on Instagram and let's uh, comment on everything we ever do – we're missing out the curation. We're missing out on. Yeah. Uh, we're collecting. We're we're saving data for future generations, but we're not saving the stories for those future mm-hmm. generations. Mm-hmm. And I guess, granted, I'm you know as as a childless single person, there there's a there's a there's a there's a certain chainsaw effect on that branch of the family tree anyway. And I, that probably, I don't know whether the responsibility is greater for you. Because you have a child that needs to be told the story that you were told, good and bad, that you heard from other people to pass along. Whereas for me, I also – well, there's no – no one's going to be able to tell my story through the ages. So I need to like get this stuff down. Well, I want to make sure they get it right. You know, we That's gotta... true. Or at least, <laughs> or at least they'll, they'll get the, the, the historians. Okay. This is important because this is what Andy chose to tell us. This is this is the light that he decided to cast his his thoughts and his actions into. Uh, but so, uh, <laughs> but we were, we were talking earlier about uh, uh, about this sort of stuff because uh, I've been doing a lot of like ripping DVDs and Blu-rays mm-hmm. for my Plex server. But they've been sort of stacking up. I buy them usually. I buy stuff used for like a. My library has these things for like a dollar, uh, and so sometimes I can. So if I just go to the library to just do some work for about an hour and a half, I can come home with oh, now I have fourteen new movies and box sets of TV series, and maybe I don't want to spend the next two days <laughs> ripping and transcoding. Right but now, I have the the transcoding station because I realized that. Oh, I really wanted to get here. Was a here, I, I actually wound up with a copy of uh, The Sound of Music, and I realized oh. I, I wanted to watch that like on Chris on New Year's Eve. And so, rep, finding that and ripping that turned into oh oh the Italian Job, like the Michael Caine version. That was great. Oh, Mrs. Henderson presents. I didn't actually. Okay, let's go. Let's rip all of this, and it's and it's also fun, like setting it up, uh, getting the, the transcodes just right, and getting I know the bonus exactly, materials together. Yes. Um, but the uh, it's it's also kind of uh, co. We're going to swing back to Google stuff now because uh, for some reason on New Year's Eve, no, the day before New Year's Eve, I, at one a.m. on uh, on December thirtieth, two uh, thousand nineteen. Okay, it finally sort of got the bug in my ear to hey we should really buy a few uh high high resolution audio albums and mm-hmm, see right. like if you can tell the difference also because i'm gonna be writing some stuff about that later in the year but i could have done that anytime for some reason it just i'm now i, I have to do this now uh, right uh, so, um and so uh part of this was to and i had the this this comes into google because uh, I we spoke a week or two about no probably last week about like my my airing of the grievances for Christmas. Mm-hmm. One of them mm-hmm. was how Chromecast works or doesn't work. So I managed to figure out 
two things uh, that were very, very positive. Number one, as you recall, uh, my main complaint was that I can't – here's the Plex app on my phone. I, it should be so simple just to say, hey, here's an album on Plex. Hey, look, there's actually a Chrome – there's actually a Chromecast button here if I mm-hmm. press and it will connect, but it will not play. It will just flip from song to song to song to song and finally uh, wound up like getting confirmed and looked at the, the tech specs that – uh, my Apple lossless files, which was like how I rip all my CDs, are not compatible in any way, shape, or form uh, with, <laughs> with with Chromecast. Uh, but Flack, uh, the 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 non proprietary version of uh, of lossless, uh, is, and that okay, so that's good. So I wasn't okay. completely completely hosed. All all I have to do is take 128 gigabytes of music files or like half of that and write a script to automate to <laughs> to feed it into a command line thing and mm-hmm. convert them all to flack and fortunately it's lossless so I won't lose anything but it's like okay so that's that has to happen great so I know how to do that now the second problem was that okay so now I have I've been I've been saying how much I love these the my my paired up uh, Google Home Max speakers but am I sh- I think it supports high resolution audio doesn't it like or is that or is that something that sometimes happens with me, uh, or is this something that is so obvious that I didn't even ask if you could do that? Like I like assume Google that if you're charging right four hundred dollars for the speaker, you're not limited to just three twenty, three twenty loss uh, lossy right. compression uh, streaming from Google Play Music, and was relieved to find out that okay, yes, it does support high definition audio up to. Uh, ninety six and twenty four bits, ninety six k. So that should be that should be fine. And the, the third thing that I found is that uh, FLAC files are still for some reason hit or miss streaming uh, Chromecasting from Plex on my phone, but it's one hundred percent reliable for some reason streaming from my laptop or my Chromebook. So I don't know if it's a bandwidth issue. I don't know if it's a question of feeding the mm. furnace uh, before uh, fast enough, uh, but I was able to actually cast this. Uh, I, mm. I bought, uh, I, I bought the uh, uh, a my fourth version, or is it the fifth or sixth version of the of the Beatles Abbey Road album, like at high resolution, and was able. Oh my god, I'm I'm streaming it through this like nominally eight hundred dollars worth of speakers, and it's actually playing it. Yes, so. Uh, it's there's still progress trying to be made. It's okay. Um, I also was able to find out that the uh, as much as we might envy as like Pixel phone or Android phone owners and Chromebook owners having like a Pixel store <laughs> at the mall where we can just walk in and get service and get like things fixed and get things fine tuned. Uh, the built-in help system works extremely well. Because I oh, was, that's good. I was doing searches for like details about what the uh, what the Google Home Max can do, and of course there was this little like subtle little, like pop up, not the annoying pop up, but the little one in the corner. Oh, by the way, if you want to do a live chat with someone at Google who can help you, who's been trained specifically on this product, just click here. We can do that. And five minutes later, I was talking to having like a half hour long conversation, substantive. About like what the speaker can and can't do, things that I was hoping it could do but can't. Uh, a simple problem with connecting hmm. that they were able to, she was able to solve for me. So we got that going for us, which is nice. That's pretty great. Yeah. I, that's a good thing to know, actually, Andy. I think it's a good thing to tell I, people. I, I, I tend to forget about it because I so rarely 
you know, it's a little, oh, well, here's a pop-up thing. I'm, I'm well, too busy experts, being annoyed. Yeah, so, exactly. you know. <laughs> I'm rolling my eyes, by the way. Readers, don't tell anybody that you know exactly how dumb we is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. So what's your, what's your um, 20, so you're technically, no, you're not technically, you're actually nine months pregnant. If this were, as, of if, to, as of today on Thursday, January 2nd, 2020, they're recording this podcast. So, so if this were a sitcom and not a podcast, of course... Like you'd you'd have to like go into labor right now. Yes, and then like I'd have to like like flow like like uh, uh, move the Skype conversation to your phone, and I'll like coach you through the labor. And there'd have to be something <laughs> wacky and hijinks going on. Uh, mic, no, but... no, no hijinks in the offing though. Real uh, life is just no, boring. No hijinks. No hijinks. Okay. No hijinks. No. Hi- I mean, honestly, in in a, in a scenario, I would probably just leave the Skype window open, and I would disappear, and you would just be facing my empty room. Maybe actually, actually, <laughs> not, see, it, it, it's too early, but maybe starting next week, I should actually like click the button on that Skype like uh, capture <laughs> feature because you're not going to go into labor during a recording of a show, but if you did. Boy, we could monetize that. You know, little, I mean, we, we could not. We could probably pay for by the time your kid goes to college, a book, maybe. I mean, I got to figure out a way to help help them pay for it. So we're gonna. I mean, because I don't know if college is gonna be free by then. I mean, we're trying over here in the <laughs> U.S. of A., but you know how things are going. Uh, I don't know. I mean, the, we we're freaking out. So in the we being me and my husband and I, we are just like freaking out because obviously we've never had a child. So this is like completely new territory for both of us. Um, and it just feels like yesterday that I found out this was all happening. Um, and so we wanted to just kind of Andy and I just wanted to let everybody know what was going on behind the scenes. I know, um, I know that you're not supposed to like <laughs> you, 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 you told me early on, and so it became like a back running background process wherever I was on social media. Do not hint at all that flow is expecting. And only only like as we were talking before the show, like, oh, that's right. You're nine months pregnant. I guess I can like acknowledge to people. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm at the point now where I said I wouldn't start acknowledging it until like the very end um, because it's just like. Because either way, it's totally up to you. It's just that I, I, But I knew, in real I life, this. I can't hide it anymore. Like I'm officially at that point in real life where it's like. <laughs> well, Andy usually sees me like from the shoulder blades up. So but below, it's just like I have a big I have a big, you know, you're you're big and noticeable womb. enough that. People are still not giving, getting up to give you their seat on the subway or other public transportation, but collectively they are glaring angrily at the one person that they've decided should stand up and give them, give you their seat. Oh my gosh. I still like am getting glares for sitting in the yellow seats on BART. And I'm just like, I know you don't, th- you think I don't look it, but like I, <laughs> if I stand up, I will faint and we don't, we don't want that to happen. So anyway, Annie and I are working. We don't, we don't really, we're not a hundred percent. Like the podcast will continue. It's not going anywhere. Absolutely. Uh, I will pro- likely disappear for probably a couple weeks as I recuperate from whatever it is that is going to be happening to me physically. Um, because again, you, you, we don't know. you really, if you don't know, you really need to read those pamphlets that your OBGYN has sent you home with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the thing is, we don't know. Like I could have, I 
just could have a, your standard run-of-the-mill birth or maybe I have to have a cesarean or God knows. Like, you just you just don't know until you get into the hospital and everything is chaotic and the nurses and doctors are asking you to point out your pain level on a bunch of smiley faces, um, which... And, and once again, if it's a sitcom... Uh, like your doctor appears and she's like dressed as uh, she's dressed as Grizabella from Cats said, oh, I'm sorry. I, had, I we were, my <laughs> local community theater was doing and when I got the call, I didn't want to I didn't want to waste any time. I got right down here again. Oh, this no, is why so s- sitcom world is both better and not as good as the real world. It's true. I'm sorry um, for putting that thought in your head. I'm sure she's not in commuter theater. No, it theater. made me laugh really. I'm actually very red because I was laughing very hard from the idea because the thing is I don't know who is delivering my baby because I'm going to a hospital that was suggested by my doctor that is within the network or whatever that I'm going to. And I'm going to this hospital because it is like a really – anyway, <laughs> I, fl- I could talk about this all day uh, because this is all I've been – like this is all I've been thinking about. It's been about, on your really. mind. It's yeah. been – yeah. Anyway, you will all figure out what's going on eventually when it happens. Andy Andy and I will let you know, and I will probably only be disappearing just for a little while. Just, you know, yes. I don't plan on being gone for long because I need podcasting people, okay? It keeps me sane. <laughs> yes. Also, if we, can, if we can be a little bit smug here, uh, we're better than most uh, big tech companies in which when one of our uh, when one of our staff members doesn't mean it doesn't matter that Flo is one of the most senior members actually equally the most senior member of the staff everyone if there if there's uh, when they, there's pregnancy leave we make it work doesn't matter mm-hmm. with full pay however long you need it cuz mm-hmm. we can adapt around that that's uh, i'm i don't often boast cuz this really shouldn't be a boast the fact that uh, your work is not going to cause you is not is going to try the hardest it possibly can to make sure that giving birth to a lovely wonderful child is not going to ruin the is not, is not going to ding the rest of your, the rest of your career the rest of your job exactly so, so yes yeah, so just the, the message being that this is not the end of material you might you might see uh, we're, we're going to figure it out as we go uh, probably because we don't uh, obviously we don't know like when <laughs> when when the kickoff is going is going to happen. Uh, so at least for the first couple no. of weeks, I'll probably <laughs> you'll probably be putting up with me as a solo act. Uh, and then once <laughs> once we once by by week three or four, when the baby can pretty much you know feed and dress and walk itself, uh, then we'll reconnoiter and we'll figure out uh, stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, it, give, 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 you know, give, give the kid like a month or two months. Yeah, just at least. That's all they need. And then, you know, they're just like that, <laughs> like humans. So I, but I, I want you to know that uh, uh, I will be buying, uh, buying a, a celebratory, like, happy birthday cake for, okay. for the child. Okay. I like this. I like this idea. Um, and you, you, you will have, it, I will need be. you to, well, I, I will need you to eat it on yes, audio. Exactly. Because, okay. exactly. Um, should we take a quick break? 
Yes. We were, our beginning <laughs> section ran kind of long, but you know what? It's the beginning. Of we the were just. So. We were. I'm sorry, dear listeners. We were just enjoying having a conversation with each other. We hope you enjoyed listening to it. Yes. Uh, one last uh, thing, though. Of course, our weekly uh, Gimby Gibby Bush experiment update. Uh, good news in that we're still holding our beachhead uh, in the middle of the top ten. Mm-hmm. Uh, last mm-hmm. week we were numbers three, five, and six on Google searches for podcasts about the. Uh, violently painful Gimpy Gimpy Bush of Australia. Uh, now we are, uh, we've given up the number six slot. We are now just number three and five. Yes. But that's <sighs> fine. And I can't say the word Australia without also saying, Yeah. Well, I, don't, I don't know if I pray, but whatever yeah. I do instead of praying, I'm doing yeah. for all of you in Australia. That is. You are on our minds. My husband and I keep talking about like, we're constantly updating each other on stats that we're learning about, you know, because we deal with wildfires in California as well. Yeah. And it's very and but the the scope of this is just. I uh, saw what uh, I it really I, I, I knew things were really, really bad, but it wasn't until I think yesterday that I saw like mm-hmm, a, a map mm-hmm, mm-hmm, of the entire yeah. country, of the entire continent marking where the wildfires are and the entire thing was lit and that mm. um i i i'm not exaggerating when that just put a freeze on all my thoughts for <laughs> for a good little while there to that because we are we in in the united states it is unfortunate that california suffers from wildfires so regularly but you don't get wildfires here in new england Okay, mm-hmm, big brush mm-hmm. fires, but never something that becomes hell where mm-hmm. you think that someone has taken this picture and they've done some really stupid boneheaded like red filter on it because clearly this those the the the, vision, the field of vision would not be beat 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 red bright red mm-hmm. and no it mm-hmm. actually is. And so mm-hmm. the idea of wildfires of that status across the entire nation like that is pretty chilling. So yep. we hope that you're safe wherever you are. We joke a lot about uh, about the persistence and, to our point of view, the bravery of people who live in Australia near plants like the gimpy gimpy bush, near like the most venomous creatures <laughs> yeah. nearby. Uh, it's always with love and respect. Uh, and I I hope that you and yours come out of this okay. Quick break. This episode of Material is brought to you by Booz Allen. Modernizing for the future is a challenge, especially for large organizations. You may need to integrate legacy systems with new technology. You may need to incorporate AI and analytics to work more efficiently and make fast decisions. And everyone needs new ways of thinking to move to what's next, whether for government or commercial goals. Booz Allen understands and they're helping some of the world's largest organizations modernize. They understand the missions of government and industry and the need to adapt to constant change. They provide open-source solutions so clients can integrate innovation from anywhere, whether from visionary startups or major contractors. Plus, they're helping clients power new technologies with analytics. And because security is everyone's priority, they integrate their capabilities with intelligence-grade cybersecurity. With Booz Allen, integration means putting you in control of innovation. Integrate. Innovate. Get it done with Booz Allen. Learn more at boozallen.com slash relay. 
That's boozallen.com slash relay. We'd like to thank Booz Allen for their support of this show. So in the spirit of the new year, of course, the material podcast isn't changing. We are still covering, we're still covering the important news stories of the week coming out of Google Camp. Uh, Unfortunately, and one... Google is helping us out here by also not changing. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> our lead story in Act One is once again, <laughs> poisonous internal culture inside of Google. Yay! Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I, I was uh, struggling to figure out how to start this one. I mean, look, we read for you. I think it was, was it last week that we read it? I, I, last week feels like a blur because it's just been like one holiday after the other and, you <laughs> yes. know, all this family interaction. Um, but so I think last week we were talking about uh, the letter of uh, the person who was let go because – one because of the original walkout organizers. This is how long ago it organizers feels. Organizers walkout. She was a head of communications who helped helped run exactly uh, the uh, the town meetings. Was and she was out writing Larry, Larry and Sergey's speeches. Correct. Yeah. And now we're covering um, another medium post that comes from. Well, this is not medium actually. Last week's was an L. This one was in medium, uh, and this comes from Google's head. Google's former head of international relations, uh, his naming Russ Lejeunus, I believe is how you say his last name, uh, last name spelled L-A-J-E-U-N-E-S-S-E. So a little bit of background on uh, Ross. He came to Google after serving as Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger's former Deputy Chief of Staff. Now, those of you who may not remember, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> was the Governor of California for, for a while. Uh, he was the governator, as we referred to him back then. He was the head of public policy for Asia Pacific and Ross, not, when not he Schwarzenegger. Was, yes, not Schwarzenegger. Uh, when he was at Google, he was the head of public policy for Asia Pacific, and he executed Google's 2010 decision to stop censoring search results in China. So he started at Google 10 years ago, right? When just it was still kind of this budding, I mean, Google really came to the surface in the early 2000s, but it was in the late 2000s, you know, 2010s that it really started this like snowball into a big company effect. So uh, Ross was there at the beginning of this particular transition for Google. And he was part of, again, head of public policy for Asia Pacific. So he was helping spearhead and organize some of those bigger projects of uh, Google going overseas and expanding its reach um, globally. So he became the head of international relations in late 2012. Uh, quote, a role responsible for Google's relationships with diplomats, civil society, and international organizations like the UN, and for global issues like trade, internet governance, and free expression. Uh, currently, he's a Democratic candidate for one of Vermont's U.S. Senate seats. So if you're in Vermont, you might want to Google him. <laughs> <laughs> well, to bring it around. Or, or duck, duck go him. Well, but. or yeah, or <laughs> some other search engine because you'll probably get yeah. this blog post first. That's that's where where this is probably the last part of the story in which we will say. Well, in fairness, let's just say to to to, to be balanced, let's just say that he is like running for the Senate, and so to uh, if you're very 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 cynical, 
you could you would acknowledge that okay, this makes him look like he's tough on big tech and that he's taking a, a principled moral stance. However, he is spilling a lot of tea that lots of other uh, employees, have, high profile employees, have been spilling, uh, and I feel as though he's just simply adding to the narrative and adding to uh, adding to the depth and the richness of the evidence about. Google's internal culture problem. So let, let's note that, but I don't think that's terribly significant. Uh, and I appreciate you bringing that up, Andy, because um, this did just publish on January 2nd. So, yeah. and it is just perfectly the, tied. Just this with, morning. For, fortunately, with all of our revelry, we had to record on Thursday instead of Wednesday. And sometimes it's like, ooh, that's good. That's, I, have to, I have to learn all about this in, in 90 minutes, but still, I'm glad yes. we got to talk about this. Which is exactly what I did. Um, and I read over his Medium post while I was drinking my coffee this morning. Uh, and he spends a lot of the beginning of the post just kind of writing about his role, how he helped, um, let's see, how he helped guide Google through the Chinese government and like what they wanted out of Google to operate there and just you know, how Larry and Sergey were like, well, if we can't do this, you know, ethically in China, then we shouldn't do it at all kind of thing. And that brings us to this point. So he raised a point about how difficult it was for the ideals of a small company as defined by its founders. We're talking Larry and Sergey here to be maintained when the founders are out of the picture and quote, beating earnings expectations every quarter became the key priority. So he talks a lot about how, he sets the stage for what Google was like in the early 2010s and then kind of transitions us into how it changed as the goals of the company sort of changed because of who started kind of who started making the decisions um, at Google. And he writes, quote, what does it mean when one of America's marquee companies changes so dramatically? Is it the inevitable outcome of a corporate culture that rewards growth and profits over social impact and responsibility? Is it in some way related to the corruption that has gripped our federal government? It's part of the global trend towards, quote, strong man, unquote, leaders who are coming to power around the globe, where questions of right and wrong are ignored in favor of self-interest and self-dealing. What are the implications for all of us when that once great American company controls so much data about billions of users across the globe? Now, I just do want to point out what Andy just said earlier about this being a possible blog post in response to his campaigning, because if we were to look into this rhetoric... (laughs) That, that, this that is does definitely politico. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is very politico rhetoric. Like, what are the implications? You know, I could just imagine him at a podium with his <laughs> with his thumb over his his uh, his index finger and the rest of his fingers kind of put together and just like talking, addressing a crowd, looking, panning from left to right, and just sort of saying these things. Also, he's in Vermont, so he would be also wearing a red. Uh, checked flannel shirt that still has like the crease marks from the package that was taken out of earlier that day. Actually, the picture that he has on the medium (laughs) post shows him wearing just that. Ah. By the way, is he in Vermont or is he in Maine? Don't know if he's, I don't know if he's in Maine. I do believe he's running for that seat in Vermont. If I'm, if I transcribed incorrectly, holy cats, am I, am I embarrassed? No, it's okay. I am a new Englander. I I know the difference between Maine and, 
And I don't mean to call you out here, but I think. Oh, I'm sorry. It is. God dang it. Yeah, it is Ross. It's for Ross main. for main. Do- it's okay. It Listen, better you than me. I, I live. I live in. I live in New England. I know that if you're right, it would have been better. Vermont. You know what? It would have been better me than you, actually, because I would have. But it's okay. It's okay, Andy. You know why it's okay? Because you put together the doc, and you had to put together all those pieces of news. So uh, well, don't worry was, about it's, it. It's not an excuse. I will note that again. This came across the wires like uh, this. This was hit, and also a uh, accompanying Washington Post article mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, that came across literally like 12 minutes before I sat down to mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> sat down to transcribe a week's worth of notes and bookmarks and articles into a page of show. That's not an excuse because I get it's sometimes you get sometimes I count on the second reading it the second time to <laughs> catch. St- uh, it's OK. I'm sorry to call you out on the podcast. I did, I did say earlier that I was going to ruin this decade for everybody. So I, oh, did, I feel as though I'm just delivering. It's what it's uh, delivering, what it says on the package. It's I OK. I mean, we're not doing this guy's campaign anyway, so it's True. fine. We're we're just reporting on what he said. Um, it, so importantly, just kind of moving along his medium post, you he calls out executives on the cloud computing team for butting heads on the ethical implications of selling Google cloud computing services to certain countries. I mean, he was working uh, doing international relations, so he should very well know um, that the scope of that. He writes, executives hell-bent on capturing cloud computing revenue from Microsoft, Oracle, and Amazon had little patience for those of us arguing for some form of principled debate before agreeing to host the applications and data of any client willing to pay. Some will say that Google was always a bad corporate actor with less than transparent privacy practices. But there is a significant capital. <laughs> there is a significant difference between serving ads based on a Google search and working with the Chinese government on artificial intelligence or hosting the applications of the Saudi government, including Absher, an application that allows men to track and control the movement of their female family members. Um, I laughed a bit in there because in my mind, listen, you have all been listening to this podcast long enough to know where Andy and I go with these things, the words capitalism have been flashing in my head. (laughs) And because I'm pregnant, everything is just, my filter is very thin right now and I'm just kind of all over the place. Um, Forgive me, but yeah, that was a bit of a Freudian slip there a second ago. Um, So how did Ross lose his job? He says that as Google's head of policy, he attempted to address Google's ethical responsibility at the policy level. His solution was, he writes, my solution was to advocate for the adoption of a company-wide formal human rights program that will publicly commit Google to adhere to human rights principles found in the UN Declaration of Human Rights. Provide a mechanism for product and engineering teams to seek internal review of product design elements and formalize the use of human rights impact assessments for all major product launches and market entries. So this is what he was hoping to accomplish while he was there. He was hoping to approach things in a somewhat ethical manner that put humans first versus business first. Um and was it, it really was uh, an important – it feels like a very important step for a company the size of Google um, because the, the, obviously he had an incredible amount of pushback against this. Uh, he, he seems to have uh, focused a lot of his uh, disappointment with members of the, the executives who are running cloud computing services. Mm-hmm. Report, he was reporting how, quote, frustrated, unquote, they were uh, with his uh, – uh, 
his actions and the, the the decisions of of Larry to pull out of China on on an ethical basis, basically yeah. calling them out for saying that look, you know, you can't you can't be frustrated. The the, the fact that we don't want to do business with, uh, we don't want to do we don't want to help a government to. Uh, keep tabs on and control their citizens uh, using our software. And it's a huge market, yes, but we're not going to do it. And they were frustrated that, well, that's no reason not to do anything. Uh, and uh, the uh, it's a wonderful idea because uh, the these executives were, insist, were responding to this largely with the saying that, hey, look, we should it, – it's it's already being handled. It's, uh, you know, the, proje- the product managers are, you know, very, very aware of that. And so essentially they want to continue, they want to underscore a system in which none of this will ever be ever be taken care of or be accountable whereas if you put it right there in the company's bill of rights if you were to come come up with a list of here's 10 things that we are absolutely obligated to do and one of them is that human rights is really really important and we have an office for it so it went all of as as a product manager yes you have to talk to marketing about it yes you have to talk to uh <clears throat> talk to the, the supply pipeline about it you also have to talk to the policy people to say uh, if this is okay for us to move on there's already a system there are already systems like that mm-hmm. but certainly not powerful or organized enough to fight against uh, the cloud computing division apparently uh, they also uh, and again I, I hope that uh, we're always fair uh, we we purchase we buy our uh, our right to express our annoyance annoyance at Google, and the price of that is making sure that we understand all dimensions of this as be- as best as we can. Um, it's apparently one of the one of the one of the reasons why uh, these executives were against this policy, including uh, some very senior executives. I think one that was mentioned as he mentioned as a, as a mentor was mm-hmm. that they felt that. If we make this, if we make a public announcement and a public commitment of here are human rights that we will protect uh, in our supply chain, in our product line, in everything we do, that we're volunteer, we're voluntarily signing up for a whole bunch of legal liabilities internationally that we are not required to sign up for. And so just to, just as sometimes you the question becomes, hey, well, how come the United States is the only one who didn't uh, didn't sign this uh, treaty of like human rights or like war, uh, uh, how we treat prisoners or something in warfare? And a it does seem really, really like a uh, sketchy thing for uh, for America to not for, for them not to want to be part of it. But then you talk to people who are actually involved in policy and saying that that means that pretty much anybody who wears a uniform anytime they step outside the borders, if any person from if any uh, government person from any other country wants to grab them, they have mm-hmm. this pretext that well he served in Afghanistan and his mm-hmm. unit participated in this operation and we've heard reports that in this operation and so again there's that balance thing but it doesn't he does he does such a good job of telling his story that we say this out of fairness but i don't think that they have google has cover for that nope um and uh, so he continues on to just talk about like why he lost his job and he says that when he would get wind of these workplace abuses he'd bring them to the attention of HR 
uh, excuse me, wind of workplace abuses that he would bring them to the attention of HR and senior execs. Um, he talks about senior colleagues bullying and screaming at young women, causing them to cry at their desks. He talks about, um, you know, some very race, some very racist things said. Um, for instance, at an all hands meeting, he says his boss said, now you Asians come to the microphone too. I know you don't like to ask questions, which is just, not okay. Um, and at a different all hands meeting, the entire policy team was separated into various rooms and told to participate in a diversity exercise that placed uh, Ross in a group labeled homos. Uh, Lejeunus, he's openly gay. While uh, participants shouted out stereotypes such as effeminate and promiscuous. So colleagues of color were also forced to join groups called Asians and brown people in other rooms nearby. Oh my God, this is just so bad. Uh, and I, I don't mean, yeah, I'm not laughing. I'm like nervously it's because like, it's, oh because God, it's it so sounds bad. Ridiculous. It sounds like something yeah. you would make up. It sounds like something Michael Scott would do in the Absolutely. office thinking that, hey, look, I'm addressing diversity when it all they're doing is underscoring exactly how clueless they are as a culture. Yeah. And nothing was ever done about this stuff. Um, his uh, his push for a human rights program and his advocacy for employees got him tagged as an obstacle and a troublemaker. Um, he even was privy to a follow up email that addressed concerns. And it was ac- he was accidentally copied on it from a senior <laughs> HR director. And in that email, the HR director told a colleague that he seemed to raise concerns like these a lot and instructed uh and that colleague had instructed the other HR person to do some digging on him, on Ross, to see, like, where he was. And eventually he was told there was no longer a job for him as a result of, quote, reorganization, unquote, despite 90 positions on the policy team being vacant at the time. So it's important to know we were talking about kind of like the evolution of Google in the early 2010s. So Google had under 10,000 employees when he was hired and over 100 thousand employees 11 years later later when he was let go and he his big thesis of this like medium post is what changed at google and so this is where we go back to the words that were flashing in my head um he says a the people larry and sergey disengaged from the company and the don't be evil commitment left with them. The company is being run by new senior execs who only care about earnings. He also said the products change. Here he in the Medium post, he lays most of the blame on Google cloud computing and just kind of like the need to expand that particular division. Mm. Um, that, that, that is something that yes. I, it was sort uh, I'm sure it was at the back of my mind for a long time, but really wasn't at the front of my mind until he made this Medium post that um, – Certain specific apps, specific hardware, they're going to be appropriate for some some organizations, not appropriate for others. However, you can see how uh, sales executives working at, working for cloud services want to basically strap into a rocket sled and have no restrictions because with clouds, these cloud services, you are selling computing power to any mm-hmm. organization mm-hmm. that needs lots of computing powers. And if you're computing power, and if you're being indiscriminate about how you let people have access to that uh, that, that power, you are complicit, uh, either lowercase c or uppercase c. And oh, so this is how this government is able 
to tell themselves that they are able to spot Muslims in a crowd and single them out and make sure that uh, messages get distributed to make sure that these, this suspected Muslim is questioned as he or she should be questioned according to our mm-hmm. regime. And that doesn't matter how big, how valuable that contract is. That is not something that uh, I was about to say, not something to be proud of. It is something to be actively ashamed of. This is the sort of stuff that uh, there's a phrase I keep coming back to, which is there is something there. Not everybody is religious. Some people, they really don't believe in the classical comic book idea that your life mm. your life is going to be judged and your mm. eternal life after is based on a scoreboard because if you really believed that you'd say you know what maybe i don't want to chase after wine and dine these uh, these government officials to try to sell them uh, services that will help them to keep labor prison camps uh, full Maybe that's that'll be hard. To, it's it sounds like I'm I'm sorry if I sound like I'm trying to be funny, but I'm baffled. Sorry, I don't think you're trying to be funny. I think that it's just the way we have to distill some of these things down for folks. I think it's just again we're reporting on this because we're not trying to tell you that Google as a company is one way or another. We're trying to bring to light how these companies change over time and that even when you remain uh, a fan of their work, you have to understand the way that business works in this world and just the way that there will always be, you know, there will always be Microsoft fans who love the way that the company does things, but you can't ignore the the things that have, that Microsoft, that have happened to Microsoft, like, in the last couple of decades and we're just going to see this happening to Google now. Yeah. We're, so. we're, we're adults and we're capable of having multiple opinions about multiple facets of mm-hmm. a very large and, uh, and complex company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. I'm, there's so many, I could, we could, we could go off on a four hour digression on all the things that I think Which make you know Google valuable. Exactly. Oh, you, we've mm-hmm. seen, you've seen evidence of it today mm-hmm. uh, of, uh, of exactly why the world needs a company like Google, why I love the things they do mm-hmm. and how they mm-hmm. go about it. Cloud computing contracts uh, aside, of course, uh, but we, it's possible to acknowledge that while, <laughs> while also acknowledging that they have a serious culture problem. And this is, uh, I'm hoping to, I'm hoping that in 2020 we get substantive uh, indications that they don't see this as a PR problem, that they don't have to fix the PR problem and stop former employees from writing posts on Medium, that that's, that these former employees are not the problem. They're not on a crusade. They're simply telling their stories. And hopefully, I hope that somewhere inside Google, at the top levels, they understand that they have a cancer in their culture that will either get treated through a very painful process mm-hmm. or it will be allowed to metastasize. And mm-hmm. they should not allow it to metastasize. And on that note, we're going to take another quick little <laughs> break and jump into the next little piece of news in this extra long episode. This episode of Material is brought to you by Ahrefs. Whether you work for a big brand, run your own small business, or do freelance work, getting traffic to your website is always a challenge. There's just so much competition out there. 
Ahrefs is an all-in-one SEO tool set that solves that problem. It gives you the tools you need to rank your website in Google and get tons of search traffic. Ahrefs uncovers how your competitors are getting traffic and why. You can see the pages and content that send them the most traffic, and you can get estimated search volumes with their Keywords Explorer tool. So you can see how well a piece of content is likely to perform before you write it. Ahrefs has a ton of useful stuff, like Content Explorer, which can help you find guest blogging opportunities, and Rank Tracker, which lets you track your progress on keywords. It'll even pick up broken backlinks and help you fix them. Take the mystery out of SEO. Go to hrefs.com right now. That's A-H-R-E-F-S dot com. Sign up for their seven-day trial for just $7. Get reports on your website, see what's performing well, and figure out your next move. Whether you have a personal website you want to get a following on or your company needs more traffic to convert into sales, go there now. Hrefs.com. Get that $7 trial. Our thanks to Hrefs for their support of material and all of Relay FM. All right. So now we're going to talk about the Google graveyard, which I know is a thing that makes people really, it just, it really evokes emotion in folks when you mention like products that Google has killed. Sometimes I personally, this is my own personal editorial note. It annoys me a little bit because I'll mention something and be like, Google's just going to kill it in like three (laughs) days. And I'm like, just, okay. All right. Just take a step back. Understand that in technology, things up and flow. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, so Russell Brandom of The Verge had written this article called What We Can Learn from a Decade of Dead Google Projects, which we will link in the show notes so you can read along. And a couple of the highlights of the decades-long in-memoriam reel, uh, un- not as sad as the one that we watch at the Academy Awards, by the way. That one definitely evokes the tears that's terrible but i think i really think that uh, if no one has done this yet on youtube i maybe i should be doing it that i will like when the bird flies away his wings beat and churn and sway but goodbye is always good and we'll have like this little transitions of (laughs) of google wave google bus or every project that's gotten canceled (laughs) in in, in 2020 it truly they truly make me cry uh so the (laughs) highlights of the decades long in memoriam reel includes google wave which uh, went bye-bye in August 2010. Of course, we can thank Google Wave for some of the technology that we have embedded in Google Docs now, okay. Uh, Google Buzz, which was a social networking microblog, which went away in October 2011. Um, I don't know what Buzz... I don't know what Buzz brought. It brought something. Uh, no, wave, wave, would- wave morphed into Buzz... Which also fed into Google Plus, which was canceled in <laughs> April of last year. Yes. So at least at least they do. Uh, it's it's not as though they like uh, they cancel a project and then everybody who worked on that project is like being marched out with their stuff in yeah. cardboard boxes. Like okay, yeah. we we learned some really interesting things building mm-hmm. Wave. One of them is that this technology nobody wants it in the form of Wave, but we're going to take the good stuff mm-hmm. and keep applying it and developing it. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Google Knoll, spelled K-N-O-L, which was a Wikipedia uh, ripoff. And <laughs> Let's Noel, compete with, it, with Wikipedia. That'll work out great. Yeah. Um, that went bye-bye in March 2012. I actually don't really remember that one at all. Google Offers, which was a Groupon ripoff. I remember that one because this was at the height of when the Groupon, like everything was like, Oh, you want to go like get your nails done? You got to get a Groupon. Oh, you want to go like skydiving? And then I ended up buying a bunch of Groupons, like half of which I never used, by the way. Uh, That went bye-bye in March 2014. And Google Reader, which we are all still mourning. I think that was the biggest loss of uh, the 2010s, which went by in March 2013. I, yeah. I know. Especially, especially for like people who have to f- keep track of lots of different information sources, it's like <sighs> there's still no like you know I mean Feedly I use the free tier for Feedly but like I don't want to pay for it because it's just I Google Reader Gate <sighs> anyway so Russell Brandom who had written the article The Verge he uh, or they outlined a well understood pattern which was. Google likes new ideas, and it doesn't like shutting down a project before it's shipped. For most of the decade, the company was organized into small teams, with more resources available as the team grew. So it's not that costly to spend a year or two launching something. Very true. Uh, He says that it seems to work for Google. The company can take a lot of bets and never pay that much for betting wrong. True. Even when Google is on the wrong side of an industry trend, like social networking or smart TVs, it rarely ends up with disasters on the scale of the Windows Phone, or Facebook's <laughs> stifled hardware ambitions. This is the fail better mantra, and Google has embraced it more than any other big tech company. And I would <laughs> I would be inclined to agree there because we have seen a, a lot of uh, products that have gone, have gone into something better. You know, it's like when we teach our children about like reincarnation or we teach it, maybe not reincarnation actually, but when we teach about how bones become dust and they, you know, become part of the earth and the mealworms like they eat, they eat the rotting decaying flesh of our bodies i'm so sorry everyone i put that visual into your minds um one day mommy will be that we will be that body listen that's what we're teaching that's what that's what we're teaching it's beautiful really it's beautiful it's the circle of life and and that's how it works at google too it's like it's you know what we're just gonna take bits and pieces of this and put it in something else okay um and so the article praises google Andy and I think this is this is rightly yes. this this is totally well deserved for for well building done, its ideas as actual working products like the Google Clips camera which I still have uh Google cardboard glass and the Nexus line uh you know compare that to Apple who keeps its experiments completely private or companies that keynote some ideas <coughs> cough Microsoft courier cough <laughs> without much of a serious attempt to actually produce them um yeah, I agree. Yeah. And thank you for bringing this to the forefront, Andy. That was that's a good article. You can read that in our show notes. Yeah, that was a, and then, Russell Russell yes. did a really good job of you with, with things like, "Hey, let's really let's really dunk on Google for canceling so many things." Saying, "Okay, well, yeah, we can dunk on them for not sticking with ditching something as soon as it looks like it's not going to work out but let's also recognize that they actually ship things they don't they don't like to terminate a project before they finish something and it's not as though it's it's you you if your crops fail at least you still tilled soil fertilized soil prepared the soil for a better crop to come next year mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a much better analogy than the one that I used about death and mortality. <laughs> uh, moving on. To, although this is called the graveyard section, so that was within <laughs> theme. And then we're going to link you to an article at Forbes by uh, Johan Moreno called Google, Google Graveyard. These Google services will disappear in 2020. And 32 products, fun fact, were added to the graveyard in 2019 alone, according to killedbygoogle.com. Already announced to be terminated this year in 2020, Google Hangouts. It's supposed to go bye-bye in June 2020. Uh, Google began phasing it out actually three years ago. And you'll notice, I mean, we'll see what happens to it because I'm still using it. So we shall see. Google Cloud Print. We had talked about that on this podcast. December 31st, 2020. So the end of this year. You know, it's maybe not as important to some people because Chrome OS has native printing features. Um, but I'm going to tell you that this is annoying for me because I was using it to print from my phone yeah. to the Wi-Fi printer upstairs because I didn't want to go to a computer. I wanted to continue sitting on the couch or laying in bed. So lazy people, we're all going to have to suffer for this one. Yeah, so this, uh, <laughs> this, is, this is what stinks about this sort of thing. And I talked about this a couple weeks ago with, with Wonderlist. But it's like, I again, hitting back to like closing up my grandparents' house that mm-hmm. I I have tools that my grandpa my grandfather used by mm-hmm, companies that mm-hmm. have long since gone out of business. But the thing is, it's still a push drill. It still makes holes in wood. If yep. a company decided that they didn't, uh, they no longer wanted to be on the making holes in wood business. They didn't have the ability to suddenly make this drill disappear and mm-hmm. not work anymore. And so mm-hmm. it's just a bummer when actually Wonderlist and CloudPrint were perfect solutions to problems ahead. I accept it if you don't want to maintain it anymore or keep improving it. Uh, I just ask you to not take the extra effort to make sure it goes away. Could just mm-hmm. let it set, – set, set, set it free. Let it find its own fortune in the yeah. – I'm still sticking over <laughs> Wonderlist. I, I was, I was like, oh man, this is like, I, I told myself I would have to, I would stop using Wonderlist after January first. But I did today's show doc, and I did my, I'm doing, I'm on, I'm on the radio and uh, public radio tomorrow. Uh, I'm sorry. It's okay. This is a man I, in pain. It's all right. I completely understand. If anybody understands you, Andy, it's me. Yes. Uh, Google, <laughs> Google Hire, what will be going bye bye. In September 2020, it's a recruiting tool for G Suite. So, um, you know, it's the youngest on the list, just two years old. I wasn't using it. I don't think Andy was either. Google Fabric? No, Fabric. Fabric will be going the way of the dodo on March 31st, 2020. This is a mobile app development tool which Google acquired from Twitter in 2017. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, Johan, Johan says that Google merged Fabrics app development tools into Firebase. So that's it lives that's on. what happened it to that form. acquisition. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so what products will be next, we ask ourselves. The ones we know about that are always boring, right? Uh, Andy posited in the, you know, we were talking about this last week. And we act, we got a little bit of feedback or at least I did on my Twitter when I retweeted our show link um, because people were like, well, what's wrong with Google Play and music? And I'm like, it's going by. Like, they're not doing anything to it. It's it's just existing right now as it is. But eventually, like, you're going to open the app one day and it's going to say, sorry, 
Google Play Music has officially shuttered its doors. Uh, we are putting in a noodle house where Google <laughs> Play Music used to be, and you'll have to go down the mall aisle to get uh, your music at YouTube Music now. So that's going to be an adjustment for folks. Yeah, they did the 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 director of uh, YouTube Music, who also manages Google Play Music, uh, talked to The Verge last year saying that he hopes to transition Play Music users to YouTube Music users by 2019 at the earliest. It is now no longer 2019. Mm -hmm. But so the fact that he's speaking openly of transitioning everybody from from this from this thing to this other thing. And it's like, uh, and I, I, honest to God, I've, that is, it's always a risk when a company does something like that, because I don't care if it costs the same amount of money or even a little bit less money. I don't care if it's has more features and more content. Every time there's one of those inflection points saying that, okay, so here is the simple three-step process involving clicking two buttons mm -hmm. and clicking a checkbox that will transfer your Google music account into a YouTube music account. Uh, that's always like, well, if I'm in the mindset that I'm changing streaming music services anyway. Let's take a look at what Spotify is doing. And hey, you know what? Uh, Tidal has like high definition music files in it. Mm -hmm. And maybe mm -hmm. I should, if, I mean, if I'm going to give someone $11. So, and also maybe it's a little bit of spite because it's like, but the thing that I've been paying you for has been working real well. And I don't want to, I don't associate YouTube with music yeah. unless i want to listen to like a pirated album in which case sure but oh well nothing yeah. gold can stay pony boy it's nothing true gold can stay it's true um is that a good time i feel like this is a good time to take a I break so. before and i start are, talking about maggots again and those of you who uh <laughs> who hear that uh act two was entitled the graveyard book and said "Ooh, a neil gaiman reference 10 points Oh, nice one, Andy. I'm Thank sorry you. I didn't get that one. This episode of Material is brought to you by Health IQ. At some point in the last couple of years, you've probably created or maintained a healthy habit, whether that's getting enough sleep, working out, or just trying to eat the right foods. If you live a healthy lifestyle, you could be rewarded for your hard work with more affordable life insurance rates. And you could save up to 41%. Just take the Health IQ quiz, and then they'll walk you through the entire process of applying. The policy is underwritten by one of their top insurance partners, and there will be a real person at the end of the phone who you can chat to. The savings are exclusive to Health IQ, so you won't find them anywhere else. But you do have to qualify to get that special rate. And this is the part in the ad where they're asking for a personal recommendation, uh, describing a time when I began to tell, take my health seriously. Uh, this is actually a fun thing to talk about. Uh, it really, it really did start to happen in my twenties. I didn't. I've been blessed with really good health, <laughs> even though I that was kind of uh, flying by the seat of my pants for uh, for most of my life that way. But yeah, in my twenties, I started to uh, when I when I realized that I'm probably going to if if I my dreams come true, I'm going to be a freelancer or self employed for the rest of my life. It's little things started occurring to me like. You know, if you're going to be you're, – you're, you're 25, 26, 27 now. You can almost get away with drinking a two-liter bottle of Coke every day. That's not going to last. And maybe you should knock off <laughs> drinking like sugary sodas. And then another five or ten years goes by and it becomes – 
you know what, you're really going to have to restrict your caloric intake and you're going to have to not have uh, unhealthy foods in the house. You can have them outside the house, but you can't have them inside the house anymore. And even regular exercise, I was, I was getting regular accidental exercise. It was only in the last five or 10 years that I really committed to saying, okay, I'm at the age where if I don't start exercising, going for like long bike rides and long walks every day or at least every other day, when I'm 10 years older, 20 years older, I might have that uh, that exam and the doctor tells me, gosh, it's too bad you didn't start walking and exercising 10 or 20 years ago. Otherwise, you wouldn't need this new medication or this new surgery. So it really is it really is little things. It's not about uh, it's not it's not about hey, I'm going to drop 20 pounds this year or hey, I'm this is the year I'm going to uh complete a com- complete a half marathon in 3 hours or 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 less. Uh it really is about find things that you can change no matter how small it is and just whatever progress you can make whatever change to your habits you can make just make that change and don't get yourself down uh because this, that really is the mental picture that uh, kind of got me going it was again thinking about being in my 60s and having my having my checkup and saying well here's the medication you'll probably be taking for the rest of your life because you could have started changing your habits 20 years ago but you didn't uh I've I've have have had and have elderly relatives and I see like what high blood what the cost of high blood pressure the cost, the cost of diabetes the cost of a sedentary lifestyle and I feel as though these are things that I can change. I'm not gossamer, I'm not don't, I don't have a swimmer's build. No nor do I have the sort of athletic determination that gets me out doing track work at 4 a.m. But once again, I can decide that I'm going to have having switched from sugared sodas to diet sodas in my 20s to say, you know what, maybe it's just going to be seltzer water from now on. You can have as much as that as you want. And they're probably bubbles aren't carcinogenic in any way. The jury is not out on that. There's no discussion about that. So that's what so that was my personal recommendation. I hope you liked it. We now go back to our regularly scheduled ad read. To see if you qualify, go to healthiq.com slash material to take the proprietary Health IQ quiz. Depending on your score, as well as other related qualifying factors, you can save up to 41% on your life insurance premiums compared to other providers. Again, that's healthiq.com slash material to let them know we sent you. And start the process with the Health IQ quiz. There's no commitment, and you'll learn even more about potential opportunities to be rewarded for your commitment to living healthy. One more time, healthiq.com slash material. Our thanks to HealthIQ for their support of material and all of Relay FM. And now on to our very last act of the of the first podcast of the year 2020. Uh this one is about YouTube. <laughs> it's been a I mean, you know, if we had a conversation about YouTube, my friends and I, on New Year's Eve because we were talking about the fact that I was just trying to watch Korean pop and yeah. I kept getting served ads for all this mumbo jumbo, politico, faux thingies, uh, which is frustrating. And... <laughs> Anyway, so YouTube now offers uh, creators a tool to protect them from content match copyright claims. 
So this is, a, this, claimants- is a, this is a big problem. I keep I I, I keep watch I keep following like uh, YouTube YouTube creators message board and it's nothing but hey some company that I've never heard of says that me playing an original song that I wrote myself uh, they claimed my song and now uh, and now I've been copyright struck and all the monetization from that video of my original song is going to this weird company I've never heard of and I can't talk to YouTube or anybody about it. It's people have it's it's it has stopped becoming an accident and and started being there is like a weekend course on how to grift YouTube by making copyright claims uh, and stealing content that way. And this is something that they really, really needed to start addressing. And I'm glad they have. Well, (laughs) starting to address. Okay. But on that forum, do you see a lot of like makeup YouTubers? Because, oh my God, they are constantly (laughs) like makeup. Yeah. Makeup YouTube. Uh, Anyway. So claimants are required to provide YouTube with time codes marked the specific section of the video where they claim there's an infraction. Creators can use a new assisted trim feature to remove the question section of the video with one click. The start and end points are automatically set for them. If the user uses the feature and removes the section, the copyright claim against the video will automatically be dismissed. So hopefully this will make things a little harder for the YouTube copyright trolls who've been trying to game the system by filing iffy or fraudulent claims so they can receive monetization on a video, which, listen, everybody's trying to make a buck or two, so I can understand why (laughs) this is being... I can understand how this has developed and evolved to be taken advantage of. Ring that bell, slam that subscribe button. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't make it right, but I I understand why this has happened. how I get that smoky eye (laughs) while I'm writing my my columns. Uh, Probably... This probably won't do much to protect any fair use incidents, but it's still a fundamental problem. I mean, fair use doesn't really exist on YouTube. So this is just a small little change in YouTube, which I think will make creators feel a little bit better, but it doesn't solve like the overarching issues of being on YouTube. Um, It's it's a big there. There are a lot of shovels full of stuff that needs to be cleared out of, of YouTube. And that's I'm glad to see that you can now not only is it uh, click this one button to say now they can't simply say that, oh, well, we we there's our content inside this video. They have to say it starts at 18 at, at two minutes, eight seconds. It ends at two minutes, 14 seconds. And then you just simply uh, your, your dashboard as a creator said they're they're claiming this clip and you can edit it yourself if you want to. But if you press this button, we'll just get rid of it for you automatically and mm-hmm. you'll be and you'll and it'll be just like it never happened but the, it really does bum you out when you can't uh, you uh, if you know if uh i can't you're supposed to be able to use like a 10 second video clip from a movie if you're talking about the movie or reviewing the movie or, or anything like that and or, or if like there was a a bad call during a football game you're supposed to be able to wipe this is commentary this is editorial content this is news content this is and this is not in itself i think this is an actual term this is not in itself a publishable or marketable uh, monetizable uh, duration of your copyrighted content and by and large fair use is respected but because now you've just now these uh, these conglomerates simply have these algorithms that just look for content matches and then files a boom claim 
and it's easier with a volume of complaints. It's easier for YouTube just to simply say, "Okay, you got it. We'll take this down." And impossible for you have to make this subtle argument that it's ten seconds long, and here is the context in which we are presenting that five. What is it? Five hundred hours of of content, new content every mm-hmm. is it every second or every minute? Some probably a, every every second minute like that. Second, or, so, yeah. It's, it's, it's astonishing. You don't have the ability to. Well, uh, hi, I'm calling from YouTube, and um, I'm going to get you on a conference call uh, to see with you and the copyright provider if we can hash this out. No, you don't have time for that. You have Google Cloud Services basically barely has enough nanoseconds in which Mm. to automatically process these things to make sure they don't get sued or to make make sure that Congress doesn't finally say – by the way, you know that exemption we gave you guys in the mid-90s that allows you to be simply distributors, not publishers? We're now making you publishers, and now you're responsible for all that because clearly you don't care. Mm-hmm. So, but again, it's a step. Like a, like a, like yeah. all like all of you, if you've got goals for 2020, don't focus on the entire uh, the on having to build that entire back deck with the sun porch. By hand, by with uh, with at Home Depot. Don't focus on running a uh, running a five minute mile and running a sub thirty minute ten uh, k. Uh, focus on what you're going to do today, and eventually you find that you've stacked enough bricks on top of the other that you do have that lovely backyard barbecue pit that you were too intimidated to start on in 2019. Yeah, I just YouTube makes me think a lot. There's yeah. just. <laughs> Uh, it's, this is a thing. This is a thing, you know? Yeah. Uh, anyway, we're ending on that. I'm going to, I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to leave it at that. If you're on YouTube, try and use the tools to your advantage as you can and, um, see, see what you can do to make it work for you. As for me, I will stick to (laughs) podcasting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that's it for our show this week. I well, think we we've well, I think we've kicked off this new decade in fine fine form. Yeah, you know, we wanted to leave you with something to really sink your teeth into. So, that's what we did today. That's that's what we were hoping to offer today. Exactly. Um just so you guys remember, you can actually become memberships of our show, memberships. You can actually become members <laughs> of our show. Uh, we really appreciate it. We love our members. Um, and, you know, when you become a member, you get special perks at Relay FM and special access to special things, special content. And you can check that out at relay.fm slash material. That is our page at our family podcast website. <laughs> and where, and yes. also th- now in 2020, think about poor Flo and her swaddling child. Exactly. Exactly. No, no room at the W. In San Francisco. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Oh God, that's having such to an take the Caltrain place. instead. Uh. But thanks, <laughs> thanks to your membership contributions. Uh, yeah, they, they, they were able to get a get a a small room, but a comfortable room at the Marriott on Third. On yes, third, yes. Third and Market. Yeah. Marriott isn't bad, by the way, just in case anybody's thinking of staying there. Uh, On that note, we're going to be back next week with another fresh new podcast for you. But before we do that, Andy, is there anything that you would like to leave with our folks this week before we say adieu? Um, uh, My first uh, NPR tech high tech Heidi Ho is uh, is, is on Friday. 
Uh, and so it's I'm trying to, I'm trying to start 2020 on a very very positive note. Sometimes enough news happens in the week that okay, and now here's mm-hmm. a security breach infecting infant cameras. Uh, but before that, let's talk about the eight billion dollar fine that uh, Facebook will never ever actually pay because they have way too much. It's like I'm going to, I'm going to talk about high resolution music and I'm going to talk about this Game Boy simulator and I'm going to. Let's let's be happy and light and and gaiety and frivolity, mm-hmm. and but if nothing else, we should be thankful that we're not going to CES this year. Oh yes, definitely, <laughs> absolutely. I definitely agree on that. Uh, as for me, I will be updating my website this week, florenceion.com. Um, but otherwise, I'm just very lightly working, and I'm here. I'm just I'm honestly outfitting a baby's room. That's kind of what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. Oh I, for- oh, I forgot to say, check out uh, me on Twitter at Anatko, I-H-N-A-T-K-O, for information and links on where you can hear me on the NP- NPR and things that I publish and stuff like that. That's a good I'm one, about- Andy. I was, was going to say, I'm on, oh, I'm on NPR on Friday. Like, oh, well, the one NPR station on <laughs> – that's going to be playing your segment on an endless loop all week long, Andy? Like, <laughs> no, no, they have to turn it into – oh, that's right. I should probably tell them where to tune it in, WGBHnews.org. Andy has a very good Twitter feed, by the way, so you should definitely log on when you have a chance. Thank you. And on that note, well, you know where to follow me. I'm I'm owe that flow all over the internet. On that note, we're gonna go. I think we're gonna go. Let's go. We're gonna we're gonna go. Have a good week. Have a good week, everyone. Bye bye. (laughs) 